Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Gilt. So when it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you're already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. Gelt actually provides a proactive approach to tax strategy, combining innovative technology and expert CPAs by creating personalized tax strategies for your unique financial needs of multiple revenue streams, M&As, restricted stocks, various investments and more. You can keep your hard-earned money. Our, their proprietary platform ultimately gives you the full transparency of your tax management and direct communication with your CPA to reach your financial goals and grow for your wealth faster. So again, you know, if you're interested in this, go to joingelt.com. Uh, and they are actually on the show notes that I'm going to be posting a very special offer for you all that you can actually enjoy. So again, you know, join guilt. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder. We're going to be talking about lessons learned along the way because he's built multiple companies. And I mean, the one that he's building right now is a rocket ship. So again, you know, we're going to be talking about all that good stuff that we like to hear. Very inspiring his journey, you know, as to how he was able to fight, you know, like the challenges that he found, you know, being diagnosed with dyslexia early on, dealing also with uh, businesses that were not as a rocket ship as the one that he's leading now. But again, you know, as we always say, you succeed or you learn. But again, super inspiring what we are going to hear today. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Aidan Rushby. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really, really excited to be part of this and share my journey. So originally born there in the UK, Aidan. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Life was tough growing up. I uh, I came from quite an entrepreneurial uh, family. Like my dad was uh, early on very entrepreneurial. He was um, funny enough came to Spain. He uh, did packaging uh, for chicken nuggets and uh, launched something called the Penguin Bar. Uh, and uh, ran an ad agency in the 80s and 90s, uh, which was really, really successful and uh, really struggled with it uh, as we moved into the 90s. So life was up and down growing up, and I struggled with dyslexia uh, from a very early age, and um, school was very, very tough indeed. Like I couldn't read, I couldn't write, uh, and struggled uh, for a very long, long way through. But you know, enabling me to come up with some really creative ways of thinking uh, and ways of problem solving that you just don't get experience from. from. And uh, yeah, like I'm super blessed and very fortunate now that, that I struggle with it because it enables me to think differently to other people, uh, really enables me to deal with a lot of diversity. And uh, yeah, so not, not a straightforward childhood, um, but uh, yeah, like, Got, got through it and now kind of, uh, yeah, use it, use it as a strength. You were, t- you were talking about thinking about things differently, being more creative. Give us, give us a good example. If you struggle to read and write, your, your brain is automatically trained to 
to like work out how you solve that problem. And I was explaining this to someone the other day, and um, I always struggle with foreign languages. And I think it's because the way I kind of know English is that I memorized every single word. And as a result of that, um, I would just to remember it. But like that's one way of solving that problem. I, I used to like, or like as a kid, I never used to read a book. I didn't read a book until I got to about 23, uh, even way through university. But when I discovered audio books, you know, for example, that's just changed my life. But, you know, like I listen to an audio book a week now and have done for the last 10 years. Uh, and that's just the amount of knowledge and learning for someone like myself is just a revelation. Like absolutely, you know, love, love audio books, love podcasts. And I guess like, that's a way of, of solving <laughs> solving the ability to learn. Uh, and so problem solving then, Aidan, you know, what did that teach you about problem solving? How to, how to tackle problems? Because I'm sure that that has served you pretty well, you know, especially now that you're an entrepreneur and that's what you do for a living. <laughs> like for me, like I think it enables me to take a very high perspective and a high view on things. And um, I don't get too bogged down in the small minutia. Uh, always like to think big about an industry and how to transform it. Um, my biggest motivation is I love helping people, and I really see business as a way of, of being able to do that, uh, solving industry problems and solving consumer problems. Uh, for me, is like the biggest motivator and the biggest driver of of my why, if you like, the why why I'm here. Now, in your case, you know, like uh, one thing led to the next and you ended up studying business. So uh, what really got you into business? Do you think that uh, that was perhaps what you had experienced, you know, with uh, your family, you know, with that entrepreneurial drive that you saw early on or or what really motivated, you know, you to to have that interest around business? I think I was always going to go into business from a very early age. I, you know, was running a car, car washing business to uh, a lawnmower business, to a babysitting business when I was super young. And then uh, I, well, I really wanted to go to university. There's no one in my family that got a degree. And so I really wanted to go and prove that I could do that. And so after doing that, I started working in property and thought, wow, there's, the, there's a big opportunity here to, to create and solve a problem for a consumer. And that was around renting uh, long-term property rentals. And um, yeah, spent seven years going through multiple lessons. I feel like what I achieved in seven years was an absolute lifetime <laughs> in so many uh, ways, not how what to do things. Uh, but to be honest, life is a le lesson of learning. It's enabled me to accelerate like my current business. What would have taken, like as a first-time entrepreneur, you know, years to achieve you're now able to accelerate that uh, so much faster so my um, my advice to people out there struggling is like really embrace it really take those lessons um and sometimes it's not necessarily you as the entrepreneur it's the it's the market conditions and um, you know it's all about picking the right market right opportunity and then you can really leverage your learning and your skills but for a long time in my first business i i thought that i was stupid and I wasn't very good. Um, and actually, I think what's transpired is actually I'm really good. It's just sometimes it's just not the right opportunity. 
Yeah, it's like being a good athlete. Eh? If you're uh, good at soccer, you got to find, you know, that soccer, no? or football, as they as we call it there in, in Europe. But uh, but in any case, you know, for you, this first company was Move Bubble. What, what do you think was missing? You know, obviously now, you know, you're in a rocket ship, and we're going to talk about it in just a little bit. But looking back and, and being able to reflect, because I'm sure that you've, you've had the opportunity to reflect a lot there, what do you think was missing, you know, for things to click? I think there were a couple of things. I think, one, I went into that business a lot less experienced. And if I look back, I think the actual profit pool and revenue pools in that industry just weren't there. So I think that that was like number one. And it was extremely difficult to to access the revenue pools because the network effects in that industry was so strong from the incumbents that even if you were able to deliver value to the consumer, the proposition wasn't strong enough because you couldn't get enough property listings on the platform because of the existing players that just monopolized the market and the network effects of the existing players just made it just impossible to penetrate. And I think I I got into this loop where I kept trying and kept trying because I wanted some of the investors were my friends and I felt massively obligated not to give up. And I read so much about not giving up and pushing that forward. And I think I got into this loop where I was just kept trying and trying and trying and probably what I should have done um, in, in hindsight was stop. And sometimes I think it, it's really hard as an entrepreneur is to stop what you're doing and re- reflect and do something uh, different. But uh, in COVID, uh, we were just talking briefly, I, I spent some time in Mallorca and uh, really kind of reflected on what I was doing and what I wanted to spend my next 10 years doing. And I just couldn't see an opportunity there any, anymore. And it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my entire life. Um, I've been through a lot of struggles and I think deciding not to do it anymore uh, was pretty profound and uh, extremely difficult kind of decision. Um, but I kind of got to the point where I realized that actually it was nothing to do with me and I kind of got over fear of failing to enable me to take those learnings into the into the next business. And I think that that's so profound because I find that uh, as founders, and I guess especially as first-time founders, we get to attach ourselves too much to the business. I mean, we think we are the business. And I think that uh, that creates the issue of, you know, when things don't work out, you know, of one thinking that is a failure instead of, hey, the project just failed, you know, moving on to the next thing. So I guess being with failure, and you were talking about, you know, your time in Mallorca, what what were you able to find, you know, about being with failure that allowed you the um, the the possibility of of just saying, hey, you know, I'm finally, I'm I'm complete, I'm turning this page, I'm moving on. I'll be I'll be really open with you. Um, I, I spent two and a half, three years going through cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which for anyone out there, I highly recommend. Like it really gets you to understand yourself and 
and you really get to know yourself in a much more sort of deeper uh, way. And I was, um, I went through this like real transition when I was younger, where my parents got divorced while I was struggling with dyslexia, and I kind of managed to get this uh, deep psychological thing in my head where I kind of connected the two together, and it kind of led me to believe I was stupid. And, uh, and as a result, I think I spent a long time trying to prove that I wasn't stupid. And uh, in some ways, this is, you know, enabled incredible learning for me. Uh, but it was very difficult to live with because everything you did, you kind of internalized that to believe that you failed and that you weren't good enough. So I was kind of, every time you got rejected by a VC or every time you uh, something didn't work as planned. You kind of had this two two really conflicting parts of you. One which was just like kind of took it really hard and that like really deep. But then there was this other part of you that was like, now I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm going to push on. I'm going to make this work. And um, I I managed to get to a point in my in my in my own sort of psyche and and health like health really more than anything else where I could live with myself for failing and understood that this was not necessarily about me it was to do with market conditions things that were outside of my control and I really wanted to take everything that I'd learned, not only like about myself through the therapy, but also like 10 years of experience and say, you know, let's build a groundbreaking company that's really well thought through from the beginning uh, and where there is a real opportunity. And um, it was extremely hard to do. And I guess that's a very honest kind of reality uh, of what it was like. Uh, but there were some very dark days in that process and uh, yeah extreme amounts of guilt to to let lots of people down because uh, I knew I was walking away from lots of people that personally invested in me and believed in me um, but long term I knew it was the right thing to do not only from their investment because I, I could have taken more money uh, from them but I just just felt it was the wrong thing to do and very profound, Aidan. I'm sure that this is going to have a tremendous impact too on many of the entrepreneurs that are that are listening, you know, and tuning in because this is so important, right? I mean, it's a that attachment that people have to their own business, and and I think that first-time founders really really struggle with that. Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by .tech Domains. I mean, I can tell you one thing, and that is that as a founder, you're always thinking about branding. Now, one thing that is very important in that, you know, is that you need traction, you need to grow, you need to succeed. And having a name that is recognizable on a really amazing domain is the way to go. So that is why it's very important to establish the online presence with a clear and distinguishable identity. And you can do that with .tech domains. So .tech domains are the go-to namespace to build anything in tech. They have actually helped many brands in the industry to make a name for themselves just like OneX.Tech with their advanced Androids designed to replicate human movements and behaviors. So really, really, really cool stuff and cutting edge. And again, thousands of companies like this, you know, are also taking advantage of .tech domains. So 
Uh, also, remember that .tech domains can do the same, you know, for your company. They are also providing a great offer to every single one of you in the DealMakers audience. Is one-year domain for $10 and a five-year domain for $50. So head now to the special URL, which is go.tech slash DealMakers. And that is, again, go.tech forward slash DealMakers. So go get your own domain. Now, in your case, you know, you were talking about those dark days. At what point, you know, that's the light, you know, because as they say, clouds, they're always temporary. At what point, you know, do the clouds pass? And all of a sudden, you know, the idea of Carmula, you know, comes knocking. So I, um, there was a couple of things that were happening at the time. I was looking at, um, I, I got two little sausage dogs and I needed a car to drive down to New Yorker. And so I went through the process of financing the car. And I thought, wow, this was terrible. Like it was a terrible experience. And so they said that that was kind of one thing. Um, I'd seen a, one of my best friends, Ryan, was running a buy now, pay later solution. And so kind of seen like new lending technology coming through. And I thought that was really interesting. And then the kind of final straw was I was looking, this was at the time when the kazoo. Uh, IPO was at its peak, uh, sort of eight or nine billion USD. And I remember reading the prospectus thinking they're selling cars uh, at less what they paid for them just to get to the finance, which is the main profit pool. And I thought to myself, wow, there's got to be a way of, you know, like not only is this a huge market, it, I didn't believe the existing players were going about it in the right way. And I thought, you know, if I could combine some of the user experience of buy now, pay later, and Klarna and the likes, um, combined with like attacking the used car finance market, I thought there was an opportunity to build a direct-to-consumer, um, fully automated car finance lender. And the result of building this on technology, I felt that I could bring car finance not only easier, cheaper. Um, I could definitely make it faster as well. And so Carmilla was kind of born from an experience of bad kind of personal experience of going through the journey, as well as kind of wider context of what, what was happening in the industry at the time and reading and research and knowledge. And I thought, wow, I was looking at like four or five new ideas, but when I kind of sort of got deep into the research into Carmilla, I was like, wow, this is really exciting me. It really excited me because I thought I could really empower consumers and uh, bring them a significant cost saving. But I thought I was very well placed as well as an entrepreneur, like some of the skills that I had, probably uniquely to bring it together very quickly. Um, kind of really understood brand marketing, really understand product, had an amazing access to um some really strong tech talent uh, in, in my two co-founders, a Ukrainian, Reagan and Igor, uh, and then uh, also like understood capital markets uh, as well. So it was very uniquely placed to bring our proposition to market. Uh, and that's exactly kind of what it did very, very quickly. And what was that uh, process like? Obviously, you know, at this point, you're like, you're clear. This is, this is something that is meaningful enough for you to take action. But at what point are you like, Hey, those are the people that uh, that I should be calling. 
why 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 do you thought they were the ones and how did you how did they come you know in into your radar I, I was already working with them so uh, like uh, one of the the good things about Moveable is that we created an incredible team there and it, like the, one of the things they made me realize that you can have an incredible team and attack the wrong market and it can take, it can be painful but if you take that incredible team and attack the right market uh, it can it can be transformational so and uh, I was already working with them and I, I'd met them five or six years before and I'd promised them on my next business that I would co-found it with them, uh, which is just incredible. So it was Roman Eagle who kind of looked after the tech uh, side of things and then Amy as well, uh, who's just incredible product and marketing uh, person. Uh, she's also my wife. And so we'd uh, work together. Uh, kind of non-negotiable uh, she she was to be involved as well and uh, we met and had worked together for like eight years uh, prior to that so that was kind of the core founding team uh, to, to get the project off the ground and for the people that are listening you know to um to get it what ended up being the business model of carmula how do you guys make money uh, so carmula is a direct consumer lender so we borrow wholesale capital from large financial institutions at one price and we lend at a higher price to consumer and we made the difference um, between the two. And in terms of um, of financing, you know, here, I know that uh, you guys, you know, have raised uh, quite a bit of money and, and the last round, you know, was a smashing round too. So um, how much capital have you guys raised to date and what has been that journey of raising the money like? We have raised about 110 uh, million uh, so far, and uh, uh, some of that is debt, some of that is equity. Uh, it's not been straightforward. Like I think we are kind of we we did our first pre-seed round in January 2021. Uh, probably raised that in, in about ten minutes. Um, so some, some great angels, um, some of the best fintech angels and a couple of my contacts. I remember speaking to, to one of the guys and I was like, oh yeah, I'll get a funding done. And had it, like I started at like two o'clock and had it finished by six o'clock. Um, so that was just like people I knew and it's relatively straightforward. And then like five months later, we closed a seed round, uh, which was led by the incredible team at Venture Friends. And um, Jaguar Land Rover, uh, as well as Clock Tower Ventures, which are USDC. And uh, so we closed that in sort of April, May 2021. And then just literally closed our Series A in September, uh, well, September 2022. Uh, so it ended last summer. And uh, just to kind of draw people's memories back to that period in time, there's absolutely chaos in the UK. You know, I think we had three prime ministers in less than like eight weeks. And uh, it was extremely challenging, extremely challenging, probably the worst funding environment ever uh, to get that kind of deal done. Uh, but I'd known Yusuf at QED uh, for some time. and. I just got turned down from from somebody that was very certain uh, coming through with pretty damning 
um, kind of feedback from the IC. And uh, literally, like, I was in Mallorca again at the time. And um, uh, in a very sad and depressing place, while well, meant to be on my only holiday for the last two and a half years. And then, um, yeah, Yusuf called me and was like super excited. He just got back off his holiday and was really excited. And uh, they, they've been incredible, just such massive value add investors and very, very smart, very, very knowledgeable about financial services um, and adding a huge value for business. But yeah, it, it, were, it was a challenge. Like I think I pitched to like eight or nine ICs during that summer. And uh, yeah, got uh, two accepted. Uh, I think IC is like the final process uh, in the fundraising journey. Uh, one of the things that I think was quite useful to share with other other people is that I personally found the uh, IC process extremely difficult. Like, I think there is a massive difference between the Aiden Rushby that you see on a video called to the Aiden Rushby you see in real life. And I really struggled to translate my kind of energy, enthusiasm through the camera, uh, especially when you're talking to someone that is like, there's lots of people on very small screens uh, and being an extrovert, like I, I lost my energy very, very quickly on those calls. Uh, so like it deteriorated and I've turned into like a monotone. And so it got really bad feedback and I wasn't very interested. And actually, if you, you know, people that meet me in real life, um, obviously a huge amount of energy drive a, a very, very skilled team. And so, yeah, really, really challenging. And so something that I would highly recommend to people, and especially in today's world, you know, since then I've had lots of uh, coaching and training around video calls and, and video conferencing. But yeah, it was a real challenge uh -huh, and a bit of a shit show. Uh, from my side and uh, yeah big learning uh, and uh, so much of this now very few have done face to face and I think um, yeah it's like a, a really really interesting challenge that I had to kind of overcome there and obviously this uh, last round that you guys did with QED was uh, was incredible I guess uh, you know just to um to give some perspective you know because I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are you know tuning in now and they're perhaps you know in their own fundraise or thinking about fundraising how did you meet uh, the guys at QED and, and how long did it take, you know, from the moment that uh, you connected with them until you received that, uh, that phone call saying we're in? I think it's a, it was a long period of time and multiple people involved in, in enabling that to happen. I, I first met Yusuf when I was at Move Bubble uh, back in probably five, six years before. And... Uh, met him face to face a few times, I bumped into him at events. And so I kind of built a bit of a relationship uh, there. Um, I think that's really important is that you, you don't want to just go to these people straight away with, with you know the business that you're trying to pitch them at the time. It was it's a long time in the making. And then also like we had a lot of angels that were interlinked with QED which were really important part of the process. Some incredible angels like Mark Ransford, Dan Cobley, uh, Will Neal. And they were also like, you know, in, in QED's sphere of influence, if you like. And I think it's important that you have those relationships that can kind of bolster and, and build your own credibility as an entrepreneur. Um, but once 
we like Yusuf was incredibly transparent. Like of all VCs, like for an entrepreneur, it's really beneficial just to know where you stand. You know, a lot of VC play games where they don't answer your calls or you know go quiet, and then you know like, Yusuf is just incredibly straightforward, very very honest about what the problems were, what the challenges were, where the issues were, and so from you know starting the process we started the process properly in september and we've closed by we had a term sheet by october closed by november that's amazing now obviously vision you know was a big one you know with uh, with investors i'm sure so talking about that just double clicking imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight aiden and you wake up in a world where the vision of Carmula is fully realized. What does that world look like? It's a really great question and something I often think about. I think uh, before I answer that question, I think the vision grows. They, they would be afraid. Like, yeah, the vision grows all the time. And I think the vision now is that Carmula becomes the world's largest uh, car finance company that expands into various other financial products. Uh, so we see a world where Carmula is the go-to car finance uh, platform for anywhere in the world. So you'll be able to finance a car in minutes uh, at the lowest rate and um, just have uh, an awesome experience end to end. I love that. That sounds like a beautiful world. So Aiden, so imagine. I mean, obviously, we're talking about the future now, but I want to talk about the past and doing it with a lens of reflection. If I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, maybe to that moment where you were, you know, studying business in Bristol and, and you were wondering, you know, about a world where you would also, you know, bring a company to life, just like you were seeing your parents, you know, with that entrepreneurial drive, you know, for you to do that same thing. And let's say you were able to, have a sit down with that younger Aiden and being able to give your younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? 100% choose the right market. I think market is the most important thing and really make sure that you can access that market, number one. Like, is, there, is there a route in? start driving revenues and make sure that the revenues are there and the profit pools are there to build a substantial business with your first product. What you don't want to be doing is relying on a second and third or fourth product to build a, a huge business. Like what makes the very straightforward and very easy to execute on is that the first product is in a huge market and the route to market has been, you know, is very, very clear. And I think, so, like, uh, I'll, I'll give it two points of advice. Like, one, make sure you pick a big market and don't sell yourself. Like, you need to be really rational and really honest with yourself about the realities of execution. And so, like, a way to kind of bring that to light is that when I first started Carmuda, I was going to be very clear that the business model would work. So I tested every avenue of that business model I could without spending any money. 
you know, to the point where I would test the acquisition channels would work. You know, we set up landing pages, we drove paid search, we built the proposition very clearly to make sure that we wouldn't lie to ourselves. Um, so I think like make sure the market works and make sure your approach into that market is well tested before you even start. And because it's very easy once you start to keep selling yourself and giving yourself that it will work. Uh, but the reality is some, some of those core things just don't change. And then you can burn a huge amount of time. So I think, you know, number one, like, you know, I've seen average founders do a really good job in a, in a, in a bad, in a, in a great market. But I've seen great founders in, in a poor market, you know, equally do, do a poor job. So I think it's, um, it's all like, for me, it's all about market. And then second, like, how do you approach that? That's incredible. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Now, Aidan, for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Drop me an email. Like, I, I uh, always uh, try and respond to everybody I can. Uh, so, yeah, feel free to drop me an email. My email address is Aidan, so A-I-D-A-N, at Carmula, C-A-R-M-O-O-L-A dot co UK. Yeah, so feel free, free to, to reach out to me. Easy enough. Well, Aidan, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much. And hopefully uh, very useful for, for some people out there. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.